Well, amen. We're going to continue in worship by looking at uh, those hours that Jesus spent in trial right before his crucifixion for what we've been studying today. And do that, we're going to center specifically on this guy right here. This is a special ops rooster. Now, you may have heard of the rooster, but you may not know this is a special ops rooster. Able to sneak past enemy lines. A rooster that has gone where no rooster has gone before. It's probably the most famous rooster in history. Now, there's a lot of famous roosters. Well, Pilgrim, I'm a rooster too. There's also ones like, boy, get over here, boy, foghorn, leghorn. It's not that rooster. This rooster is a central point to our passage, though he sits in the background the whole time. He's the most quoted rooster because Jesus made him famous, predicting that he would crow before Peter denied him three times. But you may not realize how unbelievable that prediction was and why this is a special ops rooster. You see, the Talmud and the Mishnah declared that chickens were considered unclean animals. And so it says in the Mishnah that you're not allowed to raise chickens in Jerusalem. So Jesus predicts a, a rooster's going to crow in a place you weren't allowed to have chickens and roosters. So in general, they were considered unclean, but on Passover, they were especially unclean. Everything unclean was out of the city. There's no roosters or chickens in Jerusalem, especially on Passover. Except for this Navy SEAL rooster. <laughs> who's able to sneak over the walls of Jericho. I'm sorry, the walls of Jerusalem. Sneak past soldiers, religious leaders who would have immediately got rid of them. All of the Hebrews preparing for Passover, getting rid of everything unclean. And this rooster will make his way past them all. He will find his way into the weeds and into the trees. Well, he'll take a little nap. And he'll lay there sleeping until just the right time when he'll throw his head back and cock-a-doodle-doo declare the will of God. Cock-a-doodle-doo declare the amazing prediction of Jesus. Our special ops rooster. Sitting in the background of our passage. Now if you remember the time frame, where are we in our schedule? At 12 a.m., Judas and the soldiers took Jesus from the garden, as we discovered last week. We discovered last week 600 to 1,000 people came to get Jesus in the garden. If you weren't here, uh, pick up the CD. Jesus is being taken away, and now we're somewhere between 1 a.m. and 6 a.m. He's at Caiaphas' house for a kangaroo court trial. Caiaphas, the high priest. And it's here we get to our key verse for the passage. And the key verse is that, having arrested Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's home, the trials in a home. But Peter followed at a distance, and a few verses later, then he denied him. So you might think to yourself, well, I would never deny Jesus, I would never do that kind of thing. But see, distance precedes denial. Long before we deny our marriage, long before we break up a friendship or lose, lose touch with a child in our family or a mom or dad, long before we feel that we would deny our Lord, our Savior, and our God, 
there's a stage that precedes denial, and that's distance. You just begin to not hang out as often, begin to not share as much, begin to resent and, and, and keep that space between the two of you. Distance precedes <clears throat> denial. And I want us to look today at what are the path we might be on, that we may be a long way away from denial, but we are starting to entertain the path of distance. And we're going to look at three questions I want you to ask yourself today. One's going to be about distance. One's going to be about denial. The other one's going to be a word you don't hear very much at church anymore, but it's going to be about damnation, self-damnation, and what rescues us from that. So three questions to ask so we can see if we're on the path to denial and we can find the grace to return. Let's look at the first question together. The first question speaks to this idea of distance. And here's the question. Have you and I distanced ourselves from God? If you think about your relationship with God, if you think about your time with God over the last couple years or even decades, when is the time you really felt close to God? And where are you now? Are you as close as you used to be? What did it look like when you were close? See, it says, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now, before we're too hard on Peter, at least he's following. Most of the disciples have just totally given up. Run away, run away, run away. Except for John that will show up at the cross. And Peter, most of the disciples are just AWOL. Missing in action. Peter is following at a distance. And why is he following at a distance? I think some of the same reasons you and I begin to distance ourselves from God. He's like, God's not doing what God's supposed to do. This is not what's supposed to happen. He, he's going to the cross? That's not what, that wasn't the plan. Sometimes the reason we distance ourselves from God, we don't want to be an all-out rebel against God or mad at God. We just, we just feel distant from Him because He's not doing what He's supposed to do. He's not operating the way He's supposed to operate. He's not helping the way He's supposed to help. Other times we distance ourselves because we feel like a failure. Oh my goodness, I thought I did the right thing. I pulled out my sword and pff, knocked, knocked the guy's ear off. And I'm like, yes! And Jesus like rebuked me. And then he, he picked up the ear because, you know, three-second rule. He put it back on there. It was all good. And, and he felt rejected. Oh my goodness, I, I guess I don't get what God wants. I guess I don't get what God's about. I, I failed God. I didn't do the right thing. And sometimes when you feel like a failure to yourself or God, you just distant. You don't hang out with someone that you feel condemned by, even if it's actually self-condemnation. Other times the sacrifice just gets too high. And the sacrifice requirements have gone way up. Following Jesus at this moment, at this hour, whew, that might end you up on a cross. So Peter follows at a distance. Have you distanced yourself from God? What's amazing is they found all kinds of archaeological research to confirm what they think is Almost for sure, if not the high priest of Jesus' day where he was, a priest like it. But I'm pretty sure this is actually the home of Caiaphas. It can be found in Israel today, and they found this home in Jerusalem. Here's what a model looks like of what the neighborhood would have been around, this mansion, this palatial mansion. So to give you an idea of where Jesus would have been held, there's a, a large room here, which is a, a hallway. I'll show you in just a moment. But this is the room that Jesus would have been held with all of his accusers. Just outside of that room, you'll see a courtyard. 
with a door in it just on the other side of the wall. And that's where Peter would have been outside in the courtyard warming himself. And he could push his ear up to the wall and hear the trial going on on the other side. To give you an idea of this, this is what an architectural rendering would have looked like based on the mosaics. Beautiful mosaics that were all over the floors there. They know from this find that this was the home of a very affluent person. They know it was the home of a high priest and it dates to the time of Jesus. That is almost certainly the place Jesus was tried in this kangaroo court at 2 to 5 in the morning. Now to give you an idea of kind of where everybody was positioned, here again is that courtyard and here's Peter. We know Peter would have been standing in this corner. We know that because there's only one angle by which, if Jesus was standing in this section during his trial, there's one angle that Jesus could have looked from where he was to where the courtyard was to catch Peter's eye. Because later in the passage, Jesus' look becomes central to our passage. When it says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord. So Peter's standing in the courtyard, looking in, listening in, and there's going to be a moment that he catch Jesus' eye. Now, here's a man who, he and his wife were at this museum, at this location, he took a picture. This is what it would have looked like from Jesus' view where Peter would have been standing, where this man's wife is standing. Again, look at the beautiful mosaics on the floor. This is a place of power. This is a place of influence. This is a place of great wealth. And in the middle of all of this, Jesus still has time to communicate something to Peter about the distance in their relationship. Now, another archaeological find in 1990, they actually found several um, ossuaries, bone boxes. And one of the bone boxes found in 1990, again, beautiful ornate uh, bone boxes that instead of putting people into coffins, often if you are affluent or if you had the means, you would get a bone box and your bones would be put in a box. They found 12 of these and one of these boxes actually has the name Caiaphas on it. They don't know for sure, but it dates to the right time period that these may be the actual bones of the high priest that was running this trial during the time of Jesus. And here's the question. How could Caiaphas, the high priest of God, be so close to Jesus and so far from God? And how could Peter be so close to Jesus, but so far from his will at this moment? What causes distance? Again, I think it's looking at who's your high priest. If you'd asked Peter most of his life... Who's your priest? Who's your intermediate between you and God? He would say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, my high priest. He's my power. He's my God. He's my source. But on that day, he switched high priests. On that day, the person with the most power in the room was Caiaphas. And he began to fear Caiaphas. He began to distance himself from his real high priest, Jesus, because he didn't want to get the other high priest mad at him, Caiaphas. This is what happens when you distance yourself from God. You begin to distance yourself from Jesus because you don't want somebody else to be mad at you. You don't want to lose people's approval. You don't want to lose your status. You don't want to get the power brokers of your day upset at you. So better to keep your distance from your your religious high priest Jesus than to get the new power source in your life angry at you. Who's the high priest, the priority in your life, 
that's causing you to distance yourself from Jesus or God. It's one of the things we're passionate about as a church. We're not just about giving sermons and, and, and playing music and, and prayer and, and great children's ministry. And We're about closing the distance between people and God. That's what we're about. It's what we do, why we do what we do. And whether you're a Christian who, who's felt some distance, we want to help you close the distance. Whether you're saying, I don't even know if I am a Christian. I'm not sure if I even believe that whole thing about Jesus. We want to try and help close the distance. I can only tell you a couple of stories. A few weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago now, I was in the hearth room. And I was talking with a, a, a lady there who was going through kind of a family d- dilemma. And we finished talking. And she said, I just, I've been going to church for like 50 years. I just feel like, where's God in all of this? And I was, kind of felt the Holy Spirit saying, go back to basics. And I said, well, have you ever heard the main message of the Bible? And I shared the gospel that we were made to be at one with God. And there's this distance between us and God that we call sin. And our best attempts to link with God, religion, which literally comes from a term that means to relink. Religion is trying to relink yourself with God, but we fall short of God. And since we couldn't relink with God, God relinked to us through the cross, paid for how we fell short of him. And by receiving him into our life, God puts a deposit of heaven into you. So you know you're going to heaven and you know he's with you. The Holy Spirit is a down payment or a guarantor of heaven to come. And Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's the message of the Bible. I drew all this on a napkin, piece of paper. She said, I have never heard that in my entire life. I said, well, do you see any reason why you wouldn't want to invite the Holy Spirit into your life right now? She's like, no. We pray to receive Christ right there. Closing the distance between religion and relationship. Got a call a few weeks ago. A uh, woman said, hey, I really want to get baptized. Well, great, we got a baptism coming up in September, October, whenever it was. And she said, no, I need to get baptized this week. I said, like the Holy Spirit's prompting me. I'm like, uh, well, could you wait till tomorrow so we could fill the pool? Sure. So we filled up the pool and we had a private baptism to her and her husband and I. Just had a great moment of just having somebody who felt God was stirring in them to be baptized. And we celebrated that together out at the pool. Just last weekend, out on Bass Island, if you've ever been to Bass Island here in the little Miami, we had a baptism. A group of friends came together, attended our church, said, hey, I can't make your next date, but could I do it down in the river? And oh my goodness, at the end of it, they sang Amazing Grace. And it was the holiest that water has ever been in the little Miami. I'll tell you that. Closing the distance. I had a couple came up to me at the 850 service uh, about a month ago. I'm on my way in. I'm greeting people during the worship time. And they said, oh, I got to talk to you. And I didn't recognize them. They said, we've been coming since, since November. I said, oh, I'm sorry I don't recognize you. They said, no, no, we are loving it. We, we were going to church for the last 10 years. But we were getting bored with the sermons. We were kind of falling asleep during the services. And we've been coming to Horizon since November. And I'm telling you, the Bible has come alive in our life. It's become alive. We are falling in love with Jesus again. We're falling in love with the gospel again. We're falling in love with the Bible again. Closing the distance between apathy and complacency and understanding the power of grace. At our 1110 service a few weeks ago, I talked about the difference between Christianity and both pessimism and and optimism. That Christianity offers something better than both, that has the strengths of both. Afterwards, my friend came to me, this couple, and they both said, man, this is so powerful with what we're going through. It was so helpful to really understand how, how God and the Bible and Jesus works. 
And he said, by the way, we, we are so excited what God's done in our life. We want to be part uh, of uh, setting this up for the future for other people. And I had been talking about our, our video project, I don't think, like four months. I hadn't really mentioned it at our exploring service. And they said, by the way, we're going to be sending in a gift this week because we want to be part of creating new tools to close the distance between people and God. And that's what I've loved about our church. In all different ways, every week we get to hear real stories of people who've realized their distance and are closing their distance. In fact, before we get to the second question, uh, this has actually been kind of a fun week of some of those new tools to close the distance. I've mentioned a few times the app that we're going to put together. They sent me a, a landing page for the app. Let me show you a little bit what that looks like. So it's going to get a chance uh, to again send messages to folks and, hey, here's this message that was helpful to me or here's something about marriage that's helpful to me. Uh, it's going to allow you to watch our, our, our actual services on video on your phones. In fact, you may not realize that we got drywall on both these pillars here and to my right, pillars to the left, because I gutted both of these pillars this week. They put in new light racks there. They're doing all the video runs this week. I'll show you a couple of the pictures before they covered it all up to look pretty for Sunday. We're putting in a new video projector, because if you've ever been in our children's ministry, the video projector is really, really old. So we're going to take the video projector from this room, we're going to move it down to that room, and we're actually behind these two um, folding walls right here. They've been doing construction this week for the new screen. And you can see the uh, the video room that's going in place right now. They're running all the lines for that. And so they're going to start installing equipment here in the next couple of months. So, again, just new tools to help close the distance between people and God. That's what we're about. And that's what the future holds. As I mentioned, I just want to say thank you for those you've given to that. Those of you who want to be part of investing, like my friends who came up last week and said, Hey, I know you've been talking about it for a year, but we're finally at a place we want to give. Boy, we'd love to invite you to be part of the new tools we're going to use. Where are you at? In your distance between you and God, where are you at in your care for people and their distance from God? Second question. Why do I deny? Why does anyone deny God? And why does Peter? Look at the passage. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter was among them. And a certain servant girl. So he's sitting there warming himself. And a certain servant girl. Now, if you go over to the book of Mark, you find that it's not just any old servant girl. It's a servant of the high priest. Ah, the high priest is back. And this little girl looks intently at him. Look at that phrase. Looked intently at him. Now, this idea of looking intently is going to be real key to this passage. The servant girl, representing the new thing he fears, the power of the high priest, looks intently at him. And what does she say? This man was also with him, Jesus. And immediately, Peter's like, no, 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 not me, not me, not me. He denied him. Saying, woman, I don't know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, yeah, 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 you were one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. So why is Peter deny? He just made a promise like hours ago he wouldn't do this. Why do any of us deny? Well, what we overvalue, we overfear. And when you overvalue something good, you overfear losing it. And this high priest, he overvalued the Caiaphas, the high priest. It represented ultimate power, it represented the loss of his life, it represented the loss of his freedom. So he overvalued the power of the high priest. Therefore, he overvalued the, the voice of the little girl. Therefore, it caused all kinds of over-fear in him that, oh my goodness, if I get associated with Jesus, I'm going to lose my life, I'm going to lose my freedom, I'm going to lose blah, 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 blah. 
we end up denying Christ when we overvalue something else that we make more important than Jesus. Our work, other people's approval, our status. It could be a good thing. I want to be a good mom. And we overvalue that and it becomes more important than our identity in Christ. Being a good husband is very, very important. Being a good dad. But if you overvalue it, then you overfear it when you fail. You overfear it when you don't live up to that. I read an article about Robert Downey Jr. His movie Endgame, Avengers Endgame, just made more money than any movie in human history. One, one billion dollars it made. It's over a billion now. And he talked about, he's been 10 years he's been playing Iron Man. And you talk about your next movie. How are you going to make up, how are you going to live up to your last movie, which made more money than any movie in human history? He said, you know, I'm in a place in my life now for the first time I can finally say I'm a trust, I've created my own trust fund childness where I I can finance myself and, and live however I want the rest of my life. I think it's 50 million was his upfront for Avengers plus residuals. He said, but what I realized is as much fun as I've had in this Marvel Cinematic Universe, as much as I've enjoyed playing Iron Man, he said, in order to sort of fully understand what's important, I had to realize that I am not my work. I love my work. I enjoy my work. But I am not my work. He wasn't going to overvalue his work to define him. That's dealing with idolatry in your life. I'm not going to overvalue the power and prestige of Caiaphas, let alone his servant, because if I overvalue those things, I'm going to overfear those things, and I'll end up denying the things I say are the most important in my life. Now, while Peter is here overvaluing the servant girl and says, No, I didn't know the man. What are you talking about? Twice. If you listen real carefully, kind of lean in a little bit, you can hear a rustle. Some leaves. Oh, somebody is waking up. <sighs> Not saying anything yet, but he's waking up in the weeds. Jesus predicted something that doesn't even couldn't be found in Jerusalem, a rooster, let alone he has no idea what's going on. He doesn't understand the will of God. He's got a pee little brain in here, but he's stretching. He's getting ready. God's will will be done even when we deny. He's now denied him two times and we get to our third question. Our third question deals with a a word that's not used very often anymore. It's damnation. Damnation. Let's look at the word because it comes out in the Greek more than it does the English After about an hour of the second denial, after that had passed, another guy shows up and confidently affirmed, Ah, no, 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 no. Ah, surely this fellow was with him. He's a Galilean. See, Galilee was up north, and the northerners had an accent. And so when he said, I don't know the man, his Galilean accent gave him away. Now, I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, so to have a northern accent wasn't Boston. Boston or something like that. It was Chicago. If you're from Chicago, you had a little nasal talk, you're from Chicago, da bears, da bears. You can always tell people from up north, they're from Chicago. And so here's pretty much what Peter would have sound like if he grew up in Illinois. He'd be like, you know what, da bears, I don't even know the man. What are you talking about? No. And this guy's like, no, 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 yeah, you're Galilean, I recognize the accent. He's like, 
No, no, no. I'm, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a southern gentleman. My name is Jim Bell, and I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. The Bears. No, he, he couldn't fool him. Didn't fool anybody. But Peter is so emphatic now, so scared to death, he's going to lose his life, so scared to death that he says, man, I do not know what you're saying. And this is a construction in the Greek that's a self-curse. It basically means I'll be damned if I know him. If I associate with him, I was ever with him, I, I damn myself, I condemn myself. And immediately, while he was still saying, I'll be damned if I know him. The stretching is over. And this rooster that doesn't understand Greek or Aramaic or the situation or anything. Stretches out and goes, And look at the word, immediately, look at the timing. Jesus predicted the time, the place. It had to take a special ops rooster to even get into this area, to wake up at just the right time, to declare that God is still in control, that God still knows what's going on, even in the midst of this circumstance when he condemns himself, the rooster crowed. Now, what are those things that you would condemn? You said, well, I would never do that. I would never struggle with that. You've shaken your finger at other people. Oh, I can't believe what a gossip they are. Oh, I can't believe they did such and such. Oh, I can't believe their kids misbehave. My kids would never do that. Then you have kids. Now, I would never struggle with pornography. I would never, I would never, I would never. And what happens when you set up that kind of moralistic system, right? Probably good things you shouldn't do. But you say, I would never. I'd be damned if I did that. I'd be a horrible person if I did that. And then you find yourself doing that. You break your own promises. You get under enough pressure. You struggle with temptations you didn't have much empathy for before. You break promises you made to yourself and to God. And now you are damned to yourself. What do you do? What will Peter do? I want you to listen to the, to the crow of this rooster a little bit differently. The crow of this rooster is a reminder that God's will includes your failure. God's will was all about the fact that you would fail. Remember Peter, way back at the upper room, I would never deny you! Jesus like, mm, no, no, don't say, no. Ex nay, Andy, you will not deny me, eh? You're going to fail me. It's one of the reasons I'm going to the cross. Don't damn yourself. I'm going to take your curse and damnation upon myself. That's why I'm here. And the will of God, even in the next couple of hours, Peter, is I know you're going to fail me. I know you're going to break your own promises. I know you're going to not live up to your own standards. And that's why I'm going to the cross. And you're going to know it because just when you feel like you've condemned yourself and there's no way out and you've damned yourself, at that very moment, I'm going to have a little sound effect. I'm going to have a little, a little object lesson to remind you that you're still in my will. You're still in my reach. You haven't gone too far. You're still in the family. And the will of God includes failure. Doesn't mean that because grace abounds, sin should abound even more. But it does mean that this is not a license to sin, but I'm not going to be surprised when I sin. Instead, I'm going to say, God, I am not capable of keeping my own promises. I need your grace to flow through me. I need your Holy Spirit's fruit to flow out of me. 
God, remind me. I'm not living up to your standards. God, I'm asking to be close to you, that I could be in your will. And in your will, I'm going to discover things I failed about. And instead of being condemned by that, I'm going to say, wow, something else Jesus already forgave me for. Draw me close. Something else Jesus already forgave me for. Will you breathe some life into this dead area in my life? I remember I had a good friend, relative, who was a pastor. And he was in a denomination where you know, any kind of drinking was the, 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 the unforgivable sin. So drinking was not something he did, and everybody in his denomination kind of shook their finger at him. And again, Christians had different positions on this, but that was his, his denomination's position. He was under a lot of pressure during one season of his life. I was at Moody Bible Institute at the time. And he was driving home and he hadn't drank in many, many years and he had a drink and had a little too much and actually had drank enough that he got pulled over by the police on this old deserted road and they sure enough give him a DUI. And he was just terrified. Terrified by the shame, the guilt, the breaking the promise. Would he have a career? By the next day he would be in the local newspaper of this podunk little town and sure enough he got all kinds of condemnation from one portion of his denomination some people were more gracious hey you know we all struggle with stuff what's going on how can we help remember he came over to our house i was home from college sat on the couch together he said chad do you think god still has a plan for me it was one drink i said well do you is a big deal but of course God has grace. Of course God has a plan for you. Of course God still wants to use you. What's going on that you felt you need to turn to that? Let's, let, I, I'm worried about you. I, I care about you. and Just so vulnerable and so humble. And I told him stories of Samson and all the things he did wrong and God still used him. I told him the stories of David and all the things he did wrong and God still used him. And he said, yeah, but that's all Old Testament. All right, well, that's two-thirds of the book. All right, all right New Testament, how about, how about Paul? Paul was a murderer, and Paul killed lots of people. He's like, yeah, before he was a Christian. It was amazing how he was just that self-condemnation, that self-damnation. So let's talk about Peter. I said, Peter denied Jesus three times. He said, yeah, yeah, that was before the Holy Spirit came upon him. It's before he was restored. I'm like, crying out loud, I'm down like six verses. I'm like... But I love the challenge. I said, okay. Jesus appears to him three times resurrected. Restores him in John 21. He preaches at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. And still in Galatians chapter 1 and 2, he becomes an absolute hypocrite to the gospel. Disassociates with the Gentiles. Thinks he's better than them because he keeps kosher. Because he knows the law. Paul shows up in Galatians and says to Peter the apostle... You've become a hypocrite to the gospel and I need to confront you to your face because you basically denied the main message. My friend who's a Bible scholar is like, oh, that's a good example. <laughs> I said, and he went on to write two books in the New Testament, First and Second Peter, and speak about in his failure, God's grace abounded. My friend's still in ministry today. Incredibly humble man. But he was living under moralism. Doesn't mean there aren't consequences we should face. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't take wrongdoing seriously. But the grace of God reminds us that God's will includes our failure. That's why he went to the cross. So when you ask yourself those three questions. Have I distanced myself from God? Why is it I'm denying? 
where are the areas in my life that I've made some, some special list of, of, of self-condemnation? I condemn others, but now I've, I've become guilty of the thing I curse myself with. What do you do? Our key takeaway is very clear. It comes right out of the passage, right from Peter. You remember the look of our Lord. You remember the look of the Lord. Look what it says in the passage here. Then the Lord turned from inside that room, right through that little sliver of space he could see Peter in the courtyard. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered. He's going to remember two things. I want him to, you to remember the look of the Lord. He's going to remember the word of the Lord. That he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so Peter, warming himself, happens to turn over just at the moment, sees through the doorway Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he just bursts into tears. He remembers, Jesus told me I would deny him. Cock-a-doodle-doo! He told me there'd be a rooster. Cock-a-doodle-doo! And he wept. As he remembered the word of the Lord, God knew I was going to break my promises. And he remembered the look of the Lord. Now, for many of us, what does the look of the Lord look, look like? When you think of that moment, what is Jesus looking at Peter like? Because I bet most of us have this kind of a look. Oh, Peter. So disappointed in you. You promised, you promised, you promised, you promised. You weren't going to deny me. Crying out loud, I just sent a special ops rooster to remind you. Couldn't you at least heard the first crow and stopped with the third one? Oh. Is that the look? Remember, the little girl looked intently. Now Peter sees Jesus looking intently. But I want to show you in John how there was another time Jesus looked at him that I think communicates what's really going on here. Back in the book of John, it says, Now when Jesus looked at Peter, looked at him, he said, You are Simon the son of Jonah, but you shall be called Cephas, which is translated rock or Peter. See, Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, I see something in you you don't even see in yourself. I'm going to build my church on people who fail and return and strengthen other people. And you're going to be the best example of that. Not a perfect Christian, not a successful Christian in the sense you do everything right, but someone who continually stumbles, falls, finds my grace and spreads it around. Falls, stumbles. And I think at that moment he looked across as that, that rooster crowed and said, see You're still in my will. What's become a surprise to you is not a surprise to me. You're still my rock. I'm still going to build my church. In fact, do you remember how we defined success four weeks ago? Of course I do, Chad. I take notes when you speak. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. Well, well, here's a reminder for those who didn't. See, remember, he remembers the word of the Lord. What was the word of the Lord? Go back to Luke 22. Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Oh, my goodness. Well, nice prayer life, Jesus. Didn't work out real well, did it? Well, look, what does it mean for your faith to not fail? That when you have returned, oh, in order to return, you have to be away. And then you fail You return and then you take your failing and returning and you strengthen other people. Remember the look of the Lord. God's will is not your perfection. It's that you will fail. And then you return. And when you return, you strengthen other people by sharing your weaknesses. 
He said, I serve a God who got a special ops chicken with a very small little brain who cannot understand the will of God. Crush your head, you little bitty chicken. And this chicken who could not understand the will of God was right in the center of the will of God. And you and I have a very small little brain when it comes to God's grace. We don't realize how wide, how deep, and how abundant the grace of God is. That we remember the look of the Lord. You're still my child. You're still a saint. You're still adopted. You're still an heir. Because all of this was not based on what you do for me. It's based on what I'm about to do for you. And Jesus went to the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the look of the Lord. Look into each one of us even here and now with your Holy Spirit and testify to us that we are children of the Most High God, that we are heirs, just co-heirs with Christ. And we declare what Paul wrote, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And everything we discover about our own failures, we welcome to bring it into the light to see more and more of the things you've already forgiven us for. In Jesus' name, amen.